thanks. Uh, thank you all for showing up, first of all. But uh, welcome to the Who script. Is it anyway panel? All right. Okay. So we're almost going to have our next panelist. But uh, let's see now. So my name is Brett. I can often be heard talking about comics and random things on the We Talk Podcast Network. So you should all listen if you like the sound of my voice. So you probably won't. But anyways, uh, next up, I'm joined by Mo. Hey, Mo. What do you do? Oh. Okay, you don't uh, want to talk. Yeah. All right, now <laughs> I'm trying to I know, organize the script. <laughs> Alexander Finbo here. I know that he's going to want to talk. Tell people I, what you do. I am Alexander Finbo. Um, hello, everybody. And you're I'm Batman? Well known on these panels for being British. That's my claim to fame, apparently. So you will hear me do British versions of everybody. He Can't does help the it. best British. I do a very good impression of a British person who lives in Canada, eh? Um, and I am also a comic book writer, um, filmmaker, and I work at Renegade, which is Western Canada's number one comic book publishing company. And these panels are so much fun. It's okay. Aren't they? All right. Now you get, you get uh, yeah, uh, let's see now, 20 seconds, because Alexander is going to stay in my time. I, I, I am Keith Kalbeck. I am a former host of We Talk Comics uh, and occasionally do guest appearances, which is much more fun than being a host. And uh, I also am a comic writer, and uh, my next comic. Kyle, the Nihilist Dinosaur, is going to come out at the Panel 1 Festival in June number 1, June 1st. All right, and now we have, uh, we have two more people joining us. Jeff, tell the folks who you are. Uh, I'm Jeff Martin. I draw comic books and did not think the Big, far, big Four was as far away as it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stephanie. Uh, hi there. Um, I'm actually, um, let's see, I run a uh, comic book blog called uh, smashpages.net. Um, I'm a comic book colorist myself. I've worked on like tons of books for like the last like 15 years or so. Uh, let's see, what else did I do? I do immigration law. Okay, sure. And I, gl I wear glowing dresses. People are here to hear the scripts. They're, oh, whatever then. We're actually starting out uh, with Joss Whedon's Wonder Woman script. We got a couple of, is it... Uh, Two, two scenes from this one. The two scenes from this, Jeff will be doing the stage directions. Steve Trevor will be played by Stephanie, Wonder Woman, right here. It'd be British Wonder Woman. <laughs> the foreigner has an accent. It'll be you, only on one page, I believe. I could do my Canadian accent, it'd be really good. This scene is taking place, uh, Steve Trevor's plane has just crashed and is about to be saved by somebody. Try and guess. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we good to go? We're good to go. Interior, plane, continuing. The terrible wrench of violated metal steps. <clears throat> Steve wriggles out of his chair, but his legs caught underneath boxes and reaching for it, he realizes he's got a broken wrist. He breathes heavily, looking around for a way out of this. The thump on the roof makes him jump. He looks up, not understanding what he's hearing. Then, there is another. Something's on top of the plane. His eyes fearfully follow the sound as it moves up the plane. He looks about for something to defend himself with. Something tugs at the door. Steve watches as, with an agonized screech, it gives a bit, and a bit more. Angle. The door as it is pulled right off of its hinges. And there stands a silhouetted girl in an archaic white shift, peering into the plane as the door continues to twirl in air behind her, finally dropping out of sight as she steps tentatively into the plane. You can hear a distant splash. Close on, the girl. To say she is beautiful is almost to miss the point. 
She is elemental, as natural and wild as the luminous flora surrounding her. Her dark hair waterfalls to her shoulders in soft arcs and curls. Her body is curvaceous, but taut as a drawn bow. She wears burnished metal bracelets on both wrists, wide and intricately detailed. Her shift is of another era. We'd call it ancient Greek. She is barefoot. She looks about with intense curiosity, her face coming out of silhouette and into the light. Even as she concludes, it's hollow. Hey. <laughs> she starts at his voice, instinctively moving back toward the doorway, though more in strategy than startlement. Wait, no, I, uh, I need help. I'm stuck here. Do you speak English? She steps in, checks out his plight. Uh, hi, yeah, it's, it's my leg. It's pinned. Um, if, if you could get to a phone and some equipment here to... Squatting, she pulls the box off of him with one hand, never even looking at it as she tosses it back onto a shelf. She stares at him intently. You look horrible. <laughs> Leg's okay, but I think my wrist is broken. No, your face, it's... <laughs> <laughs> so? She can't find the word, but her gesturing to her own chin might indicate it's suitable that's throwing, it's the stubble that's throwing her off. Well, I was uh, crashing, you know, I uh, didn't have time to gussy up and... I saw. Your glider doesn't seem to understand the air very well. Storm fried my engine. I didn't even think I was going to make it. Actually, I'm not entirely sure. She reaches for his face, touches it. Realization breaks her face into a wondrous grin. You're a man! <laughs> wow. Not getting anything past you. <laughs> but he's as, memorized as, she, as mesmerized as she. Neither of them moving as her fingers sensuously trace his face. After a time... Who are you? Diana. Steve. Trevor. Steve Trevor. It's up. Nice to... The plane lurches again, breaking the spell not a little. We gotta get out of here. She slides her arm around and gracefully pulling them both up and moving to the door. He looks down at the abyss. Oh, no, not, not a plan here. She grabs his shirt front and sticks him out over the ravine. No, wait, Jesus! It's all right. It's not all right! Try to roll. Watch your arm. Roll where? She heaves him up and over. He lands on top of the plane, rolling and sliding until he goes off the other side. He lands hard, takes a moment to recover, and looks up. You feel safer now? Angle. Steve has 15 sharp, gleaming spears in a semicircle around his head. <laughs> They're held by 15 women, armored and helmeted in the Greek style, backlit enough to be dark and almost inhuman. <laughs> Exterior, outside the city, day. They march, their feet tromping with grim precision. They've encircled him and bound his wrists with rope. Diana walks behind him, staring at the enormous, austere Hephaestia, Captain of the guard, who holds the other end of the rope that leads the captive Steve. <laughs> Look, I I just want to 
use a, a phone. I've got important supplies on my plane. There's people waiting. Hephaestia yanks his rope and he falls to his knees. Hephaestia! She moves to help him up. He stands and continues walking. So, did any of you guys hear about the 20th century? It's just happened. It's so cool. <laughs> this is not as it should be. I will make it right. It is not to be spoken to. You ever stop? Oh, you overstep your authority, Hephaestia. And you have broken the first law. How do you think the queen will take that? That's my concern. Yes, it is. And by all rights, your fate should be his. <clears throat> Who will administer my fate? <laughs> <laughs> you should have killed it. I will not kill a helpless man. Uh, for the record, I'm not helpless. I'm just fighting my time <laughs> till I wake up. This last line trails off as they reach the top of the hill and look out at the Mascara. It's a vision of a city nestled in the lush green hills. Greek in many aspects, it has an organic look that is particular to the Amazons, not just straight stone columns. More than a hundred women are visible, walking, talking, weaving, forging. There is an arena near the bottom with women training at games and swordplay. As our game sweeps over the city, it lands on top of the hill where the queen's court sits. It is wide, open, and majestic, but not gaudy. Where the hell am I? I feel the pronunciation is going to be awful. <laughs> this is the Mysteria. So help. Nailed it. The Mysteria. Yes. No, he nailed it the first time. Yeah? It's fine. The Mysteria. Yeah. <laughs> I want to make three tries. <laughs> or home. Uh, who's home? The Amazons. The Amazons are a legend. We are? Ooh. Good. We should be. <laughs> Exterior. Within the city. Oh, that's right. So, one more short scene from this. We should mention, we don't tell them what they're going to be reading. They have not seen this before they do it. <laughs> like, it's not obvious. For the full version of this scene, watch uh, Planet of the Apes, 1968. Oh, uh, yeah. Awesome. Alright, so we're moving on to another one. Moving on to a very short suitcase scene. So, we need someone to play the Apes. Needs to play the bouncer, a key. Roll, but very small. Oh yeah, key roll. All right, you're right up front. So, do you want to? Do you want to come up to the stage? You're just you giving your mic, Brett. You don't need it. Do you want to whip this to you? Or well, yeah. I mean, of course. It's vital to bounce. Yeah, it really seems like a question. Mr. Canoehead, I love it. All right. <laughs> Let's reverse the rules and you can play Diana. Ooh. Yeah, you want the this one? It'll start with exterior a club night. It will end. He didn't dance. Don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Don't Twenty first century. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
The club is classic trendy. People lined up behind a velvet rope, all trying to get the attention of the bouncer. A huge guy with a headset, a clipboard, and the patience for nobody. Our gang is on the street approaching. Nearly every... Oh, sorry, it's not me now, is it? <laughs> yeah, we're sorry. <laughs> Nearly every trail I follow leads to this man, Clean. Clean? To this man, Clean. Clean. His name is Clean. He's man clean. Man clean. He's clean man. This is where he is to be found. Magic lasso, lasso confessions hold up in court. Magic lasso? Lasso? Lasso. It's a lasso. Is that how you spell lasso? Yeah. L A S S O. Yeah. Lasso. That's how you spell it, Mr. Lander. From now on, can we spell this word L A S O O? That would make more sense, wouldn't it? Lasso. Lasso. Alright. This guy is my editor somehow. But you don't read things aloud on paper, like when we do comics, too. It's like, oh yeah, it looks good on the page. And then someone says it aloud and says, that sounds really strange. Lasso, lasso or lasso? Lasso. 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 Okay, all right. Okay. One more time. Magic lasso confessions are hold up in court? I just know I was meant to come here. Then reading the signs? He's very sarcastic, isn't he? <laughs> just the one. The camera pans up from them to the club's sign Olympus. Steve shakes his head, defeated. Diana moves past a waiting girl who becomes indignant, putting her hand on Diana's arm. <laughs> Who's playing indignant uh, girl? <laughs> excuse me, who are you? <laughs> My best British. Diana looks at her for a second, and the girl drops her arm. <laughs> they reach the bouncer who steps in Diana's way. Oh, hold on. We are going inside. Not until I say you are, I ain't saying it. You wait around an hour, I may take pity because you're fine. But this group, not gonna happen. I haven't time for this. I am Diana. It doesn't matter who you are. I'm the bouncer, bitch. And first of all, I'm clubbing to piss off the bouncer. <laughs> Diana strides into the club. That brow furrowed. Steve beside. I don't get it. What? He didn't bounce. <laughs> uh, Oscar worthy. Josh is one of them. All right, big round of applause for Mr. Newman. Okay. Even if they can't spell once. We're gonna move on to Return of the Planet of the Apes. This was 1996. Oliver Stone was set to direct. What? <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger was set to star. I was excited. Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to play a scientist by the name of Dr. Robert Plant. Less excited. <laughs> who changed his name when he went into hiding to Will Robinson? Seriously? <laughs> a fine yeah, I, I Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, so yes. Will. Singing Will is Oh, we could have had breath when he's done. That's what you're saying. Mind, please do the stage directions. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to give these next two characters names because you guys are going to be amazed when you see this. Fantastic. Man, I just totally oh. misread the first line. Is it the voice of the rock? <laughs> and, yeah. You can do that too. <laughs> that, be yeah, I can't do that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So where do we start? Sorry? Where are we starting? Start. 
right at the beginning. Right at the top. <laughs> you bet. Ooh, right from the top. Crevice in the rock. We hold on to the narrow opening, looking deep into the shadows. A big ape, heavily armed, stands there. He has his back to us, his legs spread. A, trin a trinkle, a trinkle? Yeah, a trinkle of water runs down the rock and drains away. He's taking a piss. A shadow flickers on the wall above him. He sees it. The passageway. More shadows. Will and Aragon are, are moved through the torchlight. The steel doors are straight ahead. The sentry slides out of the crevice. He's behind Will. <coughs> Silently, he backpress back against the bars of a cell. He creeps closer to Will. He has a curved knife in one hand and a short-handled spear in the other. Closer. Closer. He raises the spear, a rustle of movement. Will spins. He sees the spear about to thrust. He is a dead man. An arm? It shoots between the bars of the cell and locks around the sentry's throat, half-choking him. Will leaps forward and drives the butt of a weapon into the sentry's jaw. The sentry crumples to the ground, revealing the face of the prisoner. It's not a man, though. It's an ape. And he, he's in his prime. <laughs> Barrel-chested and a fine head. His name is Strider. He and Will look at each other through the bars. Two rules in life. Never play cards with anyone called Doc, and never, whatever else you do, turn your back on a name. Will stares at him. Strider grins. Will smells bad. Thanks, I'll remember that. <laughs> he stares to search the sentry. What are you doing? Looking for the keys. No! <laughs> oh, sorry. He saved our lives. He's an ape. Will shrugs, him Will shrugs himself free of Aragon's hand. You go and kill as many apes as you like. I'm setting this one free. Aragon looks at him. A beat. It's not the apes I'm gonna kill. <gasps> I hate this script so much. <laughs> <laughs> A prison laboratory. The, the heavy steel doors stand open. Inside is a clean, gruesome room. Sinks and instruments along the wall. A series of operating tables and a row of cages. Behind the bars are six tribe people, men, women, a little boy. All of them carry surgical scars on their heads. It's made two of them blind. The others stare blankly into space. Aragon moves down the cages. Several of them shuffle towards him, but there's no recognition. They're like the walking dead. Aragon doesn't say a word. Grim face, he loads the crossbow and stares to fire, killing them. Will and Strider come through the doorway. They see Aragon going from cage to cage. Will steps forward, going to stop him. Strider's hand grabs his shoulder, restraining him. Leave it. He knows what he's doing. Will turns and looks at him, questioning. The doctors operate on them. Up here. Maybe they're right. I have no idea what they're talking about. You missed a line. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> well, that would make more sense. Are you sure? <laughs> uh, okay. The doctors operate on them. Up here. The tribe think that we still have souls. Maybe they're right. That makes more sense. Aragon reaches the last cage. A woman in her 20s, standing in the middle of the cell, looking at him. Aragon stares at her face. His lip trembles with emotion. She tilts her head on one side, as if trying to work something out. Tears fill Aragon's eyes. She stumbles, and steps, as she stumbles a step forward. The ranger closes his eyes. 
He pulls the trigger. A crossbow bolt slams into her chest and she falls. Will leans against the doorway, unwilling to watch, staring down the passageway. He turns at a footfall. Aragon rejoins him. His voice is hollow as if something died within him. It's done. You can go now. He turns and leads them back down the passageway. The wolves. There's five of them now, hunting through the slaughterhouse in a pack. All around them we see the tortures of the apes as they search the nooks and crannies. The horses whiny wild the horses whiny wildly as they catch the scent of the wolves. Well, Aragon and Strider crouch in the corner of the corral, smearing their bodies with horse manure. Okay, talking about like pronunciation, that's winning, right? Not winning. whiny. <laughs> lasso, lasso. The horse is whiny. I'm a city girl. Yeah. It's actually just a horse that complains a lot. That's, that's context from an earlier scene. <laughs> oh god, so sucky being a horse. <laughs> Strider's line. <laughs> okay. The fresher the better. Cover everything. That's the only way you'll hide your scent. The wolf sniffed the air, coming closer. Will staring through the rungs of the corral, seeing their gleaming eyes coming closer. He raises his crossbow, getting ready. The wolves stop. They raise their heads and look. The whole cavern is growing dark. A giant shadow falls across the doorway into the outside world. Dum, dum, dum. And then everyone dies. So, I like to point out that uh, Strider and that, yeah, Strider and Aragorn. I'm so mad. <laughs> I know. I tripped up the first time. I'm like, what? <laughs> Name, did he he's spend... a ranger. He's a human ranger oh. named Strider. Oh. No, ring, Aragorn. Aragorn. And, yeah. Yes. Go out on a limb it's closer to the Lord of the Rings than it is. Probably place right. for Let's move on to <laughs> Back to the Future. <laughs> All right, Back to the Future. We got the original Back to the Future and we need two people from the audience. Okay, Pan. Who wants to play teenagers? Okay, you're a teenager, and let's go with you right now, sir. All right, Marty. Oh, okay. Okay. It's time for my what's very high-pitched drop. Sarah, hi, Sarah. Hello. And what's your name, Chris? You know, Chris, hi, Chris. God. All right. All right. Now, Mo will tell them exactly what to do to uh, embarrass themselves in front of you all. So because you're missing the Back to the Future event, you get this instead. That's right. (laughs) One thing is, we're cheaper. We're here for you. Thank you so much. Photo ops with us are like, there's a... Marty in 1981 was a uh, a criminal. He uh, would dupe Tapes and then Dupe sell them. Tapes. Dupe, <laughs> dub, copy, dub, whatever dub, you yeah, want to say. Pronounce uh, tapes and then sell them. Duplicate. Dupe. Yeah, you're right. Hey, that's that's a lot of the audience. That's pretty good. We we know our audience. <laughs> so here we go. How old is Marty here? How old is Marty here? Seventeen. Okay. He's gonna 17. sound eleven. Does anybody? We <laughs> get to that voice again. They'll yeah. probably need mics. Oh yeah. They can probably share a mic. Yeah, share. We can share this Not talking the same time. All right. Exterior, high school, day. Students pour out of the school. It's a typically middle American school, brick, idyllic, flanked by oak trees. There is some graffiti and boarded up window or two. Students begin their after school rituals of smoking, drinking, loitering, eyeing girls or guys, as the case may be, showing off their cars. Marty is among the group of kids, surreptitiously exchanging videotapes for cash. Rafe Newton approaches him. Hey, Marty, spot me 50 till the weekend, would ya? I'm down my last 20. 
Can't, man. I'm saving up for that new amp. Well, when you're a big rock star, how about loaning me a grant? You got it. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Next to Marty is his friend Donaldson. Hey, man. What happened to your digital quartz? In the shop. I'm sporting this antique. Check out this wind-up action. <laughs> Marty shows him a gold wind-up wristwatch. Marty stuffs a lot of cash in his pocket as he and Donaldson descend the steps. You want to come over? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow I gotta do some more tapes. That reminds me, my brother's getting married next week and throwing a party for Can you provide some entertainment? Yeah, I can run something off this afternoon. Alright, that's the end of part one. What, what, Big round of applause to Chris and Sarah. Good job. What's awesome is you could actually take the 1981 version of these scenes and have someone time travel from now to then. <laughs> when oh. duping videotapes was all the rage. <laughs> all right, well, what do we have coming up next in part two? How many people from the audience uh, do we need? Because I know we have a lot of willing volunteers. No one. No one. <laughs> uh, no, okay. We'll a good set up. So anybody who's not a, there's not a lot here. There's only a part playing a, a phone operator. There's the stage direction, and nobody gets to play Marty, but Mr. Jeff Marty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so shall we do one part? All right, anybody want to do the voice operator? Unlike oh, Eric Scholes. Okay, okay. 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 my friend with the hat, who actually wanted to be here. <laughs> did Tarantino, did Tarantino yeah, no. write any uh, superhero? I'd love <laughs> to do a Tarantino. Superman or something. He pitched James right, Bond. People just talk for like 43 yeah, minutes about their taxes or something. Stage reference. Who was in? Who's up? Yeah, the curse of success. All right, but like idyllic is not a word. Idyllic. Okay. Idyllic, really? Idyllic. You, you don't you know that too, but you know idyllic. I don't tend to use lasso. Idyllic. In my everyday life, idyllic. idyllic. What a beautiful idyllic morning it is today. Shut up, we got it, we got it, come on, go ahead. Your life is more fun. I think everyone's learning lessons. something. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's learning right now. How many battles has that happened? Exterior, street, night. I'm going to tell them what the scene what? is. <laughs> Does it really matter though? Get Marty just found out he's in 1952 or suspects he may be. 1952. Suspects he may be. Exterior street night. Marty stares in astonishment at the sight before him. The rundown Monroe Avenue that he that he knew is now a bustling, thriving business district. Traffic of 1940s and 50s cars pulses through the street, and pedestrians wander about. The storefronts that were boarded up are now shops doing profitable business. Pedestrians eye Marty curiously as they walk past, but Marty is too panic-stricken to notice them. Now he sees the Orpheum Theater. The marquee is lit up, and the place is obviously a first-class movie house. The flashing marquee advertises John Wayne, Maureen O'Hara, the quiet man, in full color. Damn it! <laughs> Marty sees a pedestrian with a newspaper. He grabs it away from him and looks at the date. 1952? Damn it! <laughs> he throws the paper down in disgust and runs down the street. On the street, Marty stops and looks at the license plate on a parked car. Once again, there's the year. 1952! Damn it! <laughs> Marty runs off. Exterior, telephone booth. Marty is in a phone booth, frantically tearing through the phone book. He finds the page he's looking for. 
Marty's finger goes down a list of brands. Coming to rest at Brown, Emmett, 788 West Spruce, Madison. A big pen circles the name and number. Marty reaches into his pocket. He has a nickel and three pennies. Damn it! <laughs> he picks up the receiver and pumps the switch up. Operator. Operator? Listen, this is an emergency. I gotta make a call, but I don't have a dime. All I got is a nickel. Can you connect me to... Sir, it only costs a nickel. Uh, what? What? Local calls cost five cents. What number do you want? Marty sees a sign on the phone. Local calls, five cents. Uh, 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 right. Uh, Madison, three, four, eight, nine. Five cents, please. Marty deposits his nickel. The number rings several times. I'm sorry, there's no answer. Uh, operator, what, uh, what's, what's today's date? March 11th. What year? 1950. Damn it! <laughs> he slams down the receiver, then tears the phone a page out of the phone book and runs down the street with it. All right. Big hand for Brennan. We're going to jump right to the original ending because it's amazing. And <laughs> we're going to need a lot of people. Excellent. There's a lot of parts here. Uh, let's we're gonna, see. We're gonna load up Pretty much everybody's in this. I, I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to do Doc Brown. Okay. So, uh, pull up my Doc Brown. Yeah, I'll pull up my Doc Brown. Of course, Marty is, we know who that is. Look into your very convincing 17 year old voice. <laughs> yeah, but they're small children or giant men. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of who were the actors who were supposed to play these parts in Michael Yeah, can, can anybody see Michael J. Fox as a, as a stoner who dupes tapes? Well, let me see. I, I can see Eric Stoltz doing three, three days of it before getting fired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure in 1982, Michael J. Fox was 25 already. So. And in 1982, wasn't Christopher Lloyd still doing taxes? He would have been, yeah, probably. Okay, who wants to play Susie? Susie the girlfriend? Right. Okay, come on now. What's your name? Belinda. Belinda, all right. Say hi to, to Belinda. Perfect. Join, join everybody up on stage. We, got, I think we're gonna we don't know how we're going to fit up this many mics. It's going to be a lot of passing. We'll have to grab right. Oh, yeah? Well, yeah. We'll no, join, join us up on stage. Join we'll, uh, us up on stage. You are playing we'll Susie. Share we'll, we'll figure it out. Well, and we have the middle mic, too. So. We do. We should have decided if we wanted the middle mic. Oh. Ah, we could have, but uh, <laughs> that would be sensible. Yeah. Then, then they're harder to see. Everybody wants to see somebody. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> the last one hurt. <laughs> it was so good, though. It was nice. Hey, Brett, you didn't highlight the stage directions? Uh, yeah, maybe. Damn it! Damn it! <laughs> All right. Uh... Let's go with George. I think you will be a good George there, Alex. Okay. And uh, the bully. George, right right no, George, George, George McFly. The no, you're the dad. You're the no, dad. I'm the dad. Biff, you, did you know you came from England, <laughs> Marty? Damn it! Not much of everything. You catch the British part up here. Yeah. Could you do that? I can't do Marty in British at the same time. <laughs> did you know your great aunt was the Queen? <laughs> Damn it! I need someone to play Eileen, the mother. Eileen, the mother. What about this young lady at the front here? Yeah, she's there, here. Yeah, with the red one. Alright, come on up then. Yeah. Come on, Eileen. Come on. Nice work. What's your actual name? 
Okay, so. All right, not Eileen. That's too bad. That one will be in the great iron Hey, Jack. Okay, you want to join us? I'm your daddy. You can go to the middle. That one was too gross. You're supposed to do your line. You're supposed to do your line. And we do have stage corrections. Oh, it's a long one. No, we don't. We're up. Oh, I'm done. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I can, I can have a nap before my season. Okay, all right, wake me, wake me up. Anyone want to sing anything while we Yeah, in radio, stop dead air. So, who wrote the first? Who wrote the first? What are we going to do? I think it must still, uh, off the air. I guess I can do the stage right. How many drafts do you think they got when the trades get to the Okay, it's just so crazy to think that no, like, it goes from you know point A to point B. I love that on all this. All right, set, set up the script. Was like, yes, this is it. This is what I'm ending in. All right, let's go. We're going. Ready to go? Okay. Scene. The end. Last time you told you stopped me. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but I already said this is the original ending. What else do you want me to say? Exterior of the Nevada desert, high noon. All is quiet on the desert. No mushroom cloud, no sign of life. Just the desert. A moment of quiet, then we notice a shifting of sand, as if something was pushing up from below. Something is pushing up from below. The door of a refrigerator with the word Philco on it. The door is partially melted, partially rotted, very worn down and aged. And now Marty climbs out of the refrigerator cavity. I saw this in Indiana Jones. <laughs> of course he looks the same as he did a moment ago. He looks at the remains of the refrigerator and then notices the twisted metal hulk of the truck, half buried nearby. He looks around and sees nothing but desert. He looks at his watch. Noon. He looks at the sun. Shit! <laughs> it's developed as a character. Marty, <laughs> Marty wanders around aimlessly for a bit, not sure of which way to go. Now he becomes aware of low noise, a noise coming from above. A noise like the rotor of a helicopter. The noise becomes steadily louder. Marty looks up. There is an aircraft up there and it's descending. It's hard to see against the glare of the sun and as it gets lower, it blows sand all over the place. Marty averts his eyes. As the helicopter noise ceases, he turns his head and there in front of him is Professor Brown's aeromobile. It has the shape of a 1950s car and three white walls, but has three white walls, propellers and stabilizing fins. Professor Brown is in the driver's seat. On the rear deck of the craft is a power converter. Marty is speechless. Professor Brown hops out of the aeromobile. He's 30 years older than we last saw him, but he still seems a little different from the eccentric professor we knew earlier. He is not brittle and old, but energetic and lively. He's a man who's got the world on a string. Marty, you're here, right on time. How are you? Feeling okay? Uh, what, what year is this? 1982, March 18th, just like we planned. My calculations were absolutely correct. 30 years, God, I cannot believe it's been 30 years. Sure, it was a long time ago, long as I've ever had to wait for results for an experiment. And you're alive, Professor? You weren't shot? Shot? Who'd want to shoot me? I've never felt better in my life. Marty doesn't know what to say. Oh. <laughs> Marty doesn't know what to say or do. He just stands there staring. Hop in, Marty. We've got a long drive ahead of us. Marty cautiously approaches the passenger door. What, what do you call this? A car. They both get in the car. Aeromobile. Marty, Professor Brown. The controls on the dashboard are in the streamlined, modern style. Did I do that right? Uh, nice. Of the late 40s futurism. Professor Brown 
pulls a, a 16 ounce bottle of Coke out from under his seat. The same style of Coke bottle we've always had, except that he uses a bottle opener to pop the cap. Oh my god. He pulls out an open <laughs> compartment on the dashboard labeled fuel and sticks the bottle in a funnel inside. Marty watches this and realizes what, and realizes what must have happened. Professor, you peeped, didn't you? Yeah, I figured. What the hell? We hear the sound of whirring turbines and machinery and the car lifts vertically off the desert floor and flies off into the sky. Later in the aeromobile, Professor Brown has been answering questions. Out the window, we see only blue sky and clouds. You see, I never rebuilt the time... You don't need... <laughs> <laughs> rebuilt the time machine after it was destroyed in 1952. I decided that experimenting with time and possibly changing history was too risky. Anyways... Experiments in time travel are banned in all 19, all 87 states right after the governor of Cuba caught Dr. Feldstein. Who the hell wrote this? Full <laughs> <laughs> round of the Bermuda Triangle. Well, that was back in 64. But if you didn't build the time machine, how did I go back in time in the first place? According to your girlfriend, Susie Parker, you and she were at the movies. You went to the restroom and you never came out. Obviously, you stepped through an interdimensional time warp created by the original operation of the time machine. Obviously! <laughs> but I told everyone your disappearance was due to a teleportation experiment we were teleporting with. So don't mention anything about time travel to anyone. What theater was I at? Oh, the Orpheum. Marty smiles. It's all sort of making sense to him now. He glances out the window. Marty's point of view is a city, clean, modern, or rather modern, this sparkling image of the city of the future, complete with streamlined skyscrapers and flying cars. The city is a long way down. Marty's very impressed. Wow, look at that city! Pretty, isn't it? It's the most beautiful city I've ever seen. What is it? Cleveland. <laughs> Exterior, the McFly home, night. The same house Marty has always lived in, except it's been streamlined. The corners have been rounded to decrease wind resistance, and on the roof is a large power converter. In the driveway is another aeromobile. Professor Brown's aeromobile descends and lands on the street in front of the house. In the background are other streamlined flying cars, buses, and trucks. Uh, interior aeromobile. Go on in. I'll be with you as soon as I adjust this blasted flux capacitor. It's actually flow capacitor. I'm a flow capacitor. It's a flow capacitor. Wouldn't be a flux capacitor. That would <laughs> That's stupid. As, as Marty gets out of the professor's aeromobile and approaches his house, Marty looks at the house, takes a deep breath, and walks up to the front door. He rings the doorbell. The front door is answered by a robot. It's it's that's a capital letter. It's the mechanical man, not unlike Professor Brown's mechanical home butler. The robot speaks in an electronic monotone. Greetings, Master Martin. Let me take your tote. Right. Marty hands the robot his Porsche jacket and steps into his house. Inside the house, it is pretty much the way it was when Marty left in 1982. His mother rushes excitedly toward him. Marty, you're back. I'm so glad to see you. She gives him a hug and then notices his clothes. Where did you get these silly clothes? Sparky, get Marty some clean clothes. Yes, madam. Sparky scurries off. Your father's in the study. Say hello to him. Marty nods and walks down the hall. In the hall are several display cases, and Marty has a look. In one is a pair of boxing gloves and a plaque. McFly, list and fight. 
Madison Square Garden, 1966. In the next, a silver boxing champion NFL engraved with George M. McFly, world middleweight champion, 1963. And in another, a framed magazine ad with a picture of George McFly holding a very strange device. The champ gives Tooth Decay the one-two punch with Sunoden Electrosonic Tooth Care System by E. Brown Enterprises. <laughs> Marty is amazed. He cautiously enters his father's study. George McFly looks up from his desk. He's a very different George McFly than we saw before. In better shape, more extroverted, more self-assured. After all, he was the middleweight champion of the world. Welcome home, son! The professor told us what happened with the experiment, that there might be some side effects, lapses of memory. It's you, dude. Sorry, it's just a lapse of memory. Uh, <laughs> Marty approaches to get a better look at the man who looks like the father he remembers, but isn't. Your mum's got one heck of a dinner planned tonight. She's been pushing buttons all day. Marty notices a figure out in the yard through the window. He has a closer look. It's Biff. The security guard uniform. In a security guard's uniform, sitting in a chair, sleeping. Now George has a look too, and opens the window. Hey Biff! What are you doing? Sleeping on the job? A security guard's supposed to be alert! A very humble Biff replies. Yes sir, Mr. McFly. What am I paying you 50 cents an hour for? I'm sorry champ, it won't happen again sir. Biff begins patrolling the yard. George resumes his own unfinished business. He attaches a suction cup to his forehead, which is connected to a pen-like device by a wire. He waves the pen over a blank check. Handwriting appears, accompanied by electronic beats. It says, pay to the order of the Coca-Cola company. What are you doing, Dad? <laughs> What's it look like I'm doing, son? I'm paying the fuel bill. It's over $2 this month. We really ought to try to cut down. George sees the Marty is still staring in amazement. What's wrong, son? You act like you've never seen a writer-matic before. Marty takes out his own big pen and examines it. Say, what have you got there? An antique pen? Let me see that. Okay, I'm examining a big pen. I haven't seen one of these in well. This is strange. Really? Yeah. How, how, how do you... <laughs> yeah, it's my last two big pen. It's idyllic. Um, how do you fill it with ink? George suddenly looks at Marty strangely. Does he remember this conversation happening 30 years ago? But then there's a knock on the door and Eileen enters. Marty, there's someone here to see you. Susie Parker enters. Her hairstyle is a little unusual, as are her clothes, but she's certainly the same girl. Susie! Hi, Marty. What did you do to your hair? What did you do to your They both laugh. Hey, how's my favorite girl? Fine, Mr. McFly. Why don't you two get out of here? I'm sure you can find something better to do than watch me pay my bills. Marty, you'd better change your clothes. We can't go to Mambo class anything like that. Mambo class? You mean people still do the Mambo? Sure, everybody does the Mambo. Marty thinks a moment. Don't tell me you've never heard of rock and roll? Rock and what? I've never heard of it either. Sorry. Well, maybe it's time that you did. They all exit, leaving George sitting at his desk. George is thinking about something. He opens a desk drawer and pulls out a scrapbook. Not an ordinary scrapbook, a hydraulic scrapbook. Okay. It says so right on the cover, along with the name of the manufacturer, E. Brown Enterprises. 
George plugs it in, and pneumatic cylinders begin automatically turning the pages. At a particular page, it stops. George stares at the newspaper clipping on the page. A story with the headline, Police Quell Near Riot at School Dance, along with a photo of the dance that shows Marty on stage. Nah, it couldn't be. But it is. <laughs> and dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right. Damn it. Go back to the future. Damn it. And thank you to our next star. Who wants to who wants to jump into a scene from Six Million Dollar Man written by Kevin Smith? <laughs> All right, at least one person. Is there more than one? Okay, good. We've got more than one person who wants to. Uh, so there's three parts for this one. It's uh, Kevin Smith is very talky. Talking. Oh, right. Uh, there's a lot of. Why are you looking at me while you're talking? <laughs> <laughs> you remind me of Kevin Smith. I don't know. Oh, that's not true. That's not fair. I was so nice to you today. <laughs> All right. Well, you want to hand out the scripts? I what? left them. I up. thought you had them. No, I left them there beside you. What? You were the one handing Damn out the scripts. I'm the one saying. Damn it. Fight! 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 <laughs> The Battle of the Scripts. <laughs> no, they were out. Paper cuts. All round. We can improvise. Yeah. yeah, we can just pretend. Six Million Dollar Man, written by Kevin Smith. All right. So, yeah, right. we need All right. sound we effects. We need Steve Austin. We need Jamie Summers. And we need a, a person to read the stage direction. Oscar's not in the scene. Are you getting people from the audience to do so all the parts? That's why it was never made. So this I, is we're not really we're on the one time here. Let's okay. not. Uh, okay. So stage directions are done by something up so on who's someone play, on the stage. Who's who's going to read stage directions? Anybody in the audience, or would you? you okay. All right. You have performing experience already. <laughs> so it's coming back. <laughs> she knows what's going on. There you go. All right. Who is yep. Jamie Summers? Jamie Summers. Who wants to be Jamie Summers? Okay. <laughs> We have a volunteer you want, you want at the back. Volunteer at the back. There's a volunteer oh, at the back. Volunteer at the back. Okay. One at the back. Right the back on the left, and then that guy there. Jamie Summers. And who, of course, will be Steve Rogers? Steve Austin. Steve Austin. Oh, Austin. oh. oh. Okay. Okay. Right there. You have to come up. So come on up. Okay. And what's your Steve Austin needs to Gary. Hi, Gary. Steve Austin. All right. And yours? Brennan. Uh, Brennan. All right. Jamie. Let's, uh, let's give you some scripts and let's get you up uh, near some real mics instead yeah. of. We'll just clear the stage. Remember, if anyone mispronounces any word, can you stop things and just keep the mic? Stage directions in British, please. <laughs> All right, I'll try. Oh, man, we, we cleared the table, but you know, no pressure. Yes, apparently. Sir. Oh, yeah, you can yeah. Yes, sir. All right, so one of the things about the script, as I say, is that uh, Kevin Smith writes a very talky script, and he, I mean, I, I have memories of Steve Austin when I was a kid, and and this is not my Six Million Dollar Man. Now, some of you may have read the comics, and I think it's fairly similar to the comics, but for those of you who haven't, well, please enjoy this. Please. I just wanted to point out that in the last one, you said that the book was hydraulic, but that it operated pneumatically. Oh, we didn't write it. Like, like, I, I didn't say that. Make <laughs> <laughs> your battles. Come on. Okay. But good catch. 
<laughs> Exterior bathroom, Jamie's apartment, day. Jamie Summer, 30s, gorgeous and bookish sort of fashion, bangs on the bathroom door. Jesus, Steve, you're the biggest coward I've ever met. Must you lock the door every time you go? It's not like I haven't seen it before. You don't need to be in on what goes down in here. A toilet flush is heard. And don't forget to wash your hands. The door opens. There stands Steve Austin, 30s, well-built, charming as hell. He reaches for Jamie's face. Let me caress your lips. <laughs> Ducking past him, entering the bathroom. Get off me, you pig. All I needed was the brush, but oh no. In big bed. Tess Pywit had to be alone when he tinkered. What can I say? I'm shy. <laughs> Interior, bedroom, day. Steve climbs into a flight suit. Jamie brushes her hair in the mirror. You're also late, which means you're also holding me up. Grabs her from behind. Why don't you skip class today and watch me fly? Why don't you skip flying today and watch me teach? It's safer. Face down in class load of fifth graders? I'll take my chances with the unproven aircraft. By the way, I teach grade four and five. That's totally true. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, this is, this is true life, ladies and gentlemen. It's just getting real. You better get used to the idea of kids, Colonel. If you think I'm marrying you for the way you monopolize the bathroom, you're sadly mistaken. No, I think you're marrying me because my father is giving your father two fat cows and three pelts. Such a moron! He takes her in his arms. Tell the moron that you love him. God, help me. Tell him. Stares at him lovingly, smiles. I love the moron. The moron loves you. They kiss, deeply familiar. These two spent some time together. Give me a lift. Oh. Oh, that's fine. Okay. Why don't they have you test cars instead of fancy experimental jets? That way you can drive your own ass to work all the time. <laughs> and miss the last minute fondling before I face death? Never. <laughs> you had enough fondling this morning, which is why you're now. Looks at the clock. 20 minutes late. God, I hope they fire you. Old pilots never get fired. Bigs fly away. And beg for free rides? Come on. Exterior, Taft Airfield, day. Jamie's car pulls onto the airfield about a hundred feet from the craft. Interior, Jamie's car, day. Jamie stares at the plane. So that's the other woman? Beautiful, isn't it? Although it's a woman I can never afford to keep it around. You, on the other hand, are cheap. <laughs> Takes his hand. I want you to promise me one thing. You come back alive. Jesus, Jamie. <laughs> promise. Okay, if I have to. But next time, I get to come back dead. <laughs> it's only fair. Like the being next time. Do you know how much shit Oscar gave me about that? He said you're such a good influence. Oscar's a smart man. I should marry him. Oscar would never quit his job for you. Touches his face. Don't think I don't appreciate it. Kisses her forehead. You owe me so much sex for this. <laughs> A lifetime's worth. 
<laughs> Smiles. You're dismissed, Colonel Austin. I'll see you tonight. <laughs> Scene? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I just enjoyed it so much. I wanted to do the film. And when you talk about wordy, I think of David Mamet. That was no David Mamet. <laughs> that was no David no, Mamet. No, no, Kevin Smith is not David Mamet. All right, well, thank you so much for attending our panel. We really appreciate it. We are, we are, you know, the Who We Talk podcast gang. Yeah. They'll be able to hear this on yes. We Talk Podcast as a podcast. And you can listen back to your own podcast. performances and I mean, hear what it, it sounds it like. It doesn't really have the same, you know, shoes. I royalties from my time. We'll give you a cut of that big no, podcast. We'll back to you on that. Feel free to email us <laughs> low at We Talk Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I really like it when the audience does their own jokes, but uh, <laughs> all right, so Keith, thank you for coming out. Of course, Mo, who, who uh, you know, in a gracious one point two one gigawatts, <laughs> and Stephanie, always brilliant. I am, my name is Brett, so thank you so much for coming out. Once again, a big round of applause for the volunteers. They do an amazing job. And uh, enjoy the rest of your time at Calgary Expo. Thank you so much for coming out. Thank you so much for doing that. You've been volunteering. You just climb right up on Mo's back. I appreciate the fact that all of you came. It's awesome. Yeah, no. We appreciate it. Cheap pool. Oh, man, we can really go with this. I appreciate the fact that you appreciate that I appreciate it. There's a lot of appreciation, but, but we love you. Thank you so much.